0: Welcome to Bread. We're taking a break from our current series to focus on a goal of ours. We believe God is already at work in bringing his goodness and love to our city, and our aim is to partner with him in that. Serve the City Sunday is about making our service initiatives known in accessible ways. In this talk, you'll hear various speakers share about what this looks like. Take a listen.
1: Welcome, everyone. Good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name is Raul. And um, just as I was sitting at the front, I looked at my outfit and I realized that I looked like a cartoon character from the early 2000s. Any guesses? Impossible. Possible. Kim Possible. <laughs> this is literally what she wears cargo pants and a black sweater. Um, and so she was my inspo for today. Um, but, but today we are, today's a special Sunday. We're taking a break from our series, but don't worry, we'll, we will continue with that uh, again next week. Today we're calling um, this service the Serve the City Sunday. And as we get back into the rhythm of our calendar year, we want to keep in focus a goal of ours here at Bread. We are a church that doesn't just exist for ourselves but we exist also for the good of the city. The image that Jesus gives his people is that of a city on a hill, a lamp that cannot be hidden. And that is who we are. That is the kind of church that we want to be in this city. We want to demonstrate God's goodness, his justice, his care, and his hope to the people of Los Angeles. And we do this by serving the city in ways that we are able. And today we're gonna look at a well-known parable uh, that Kyle's gonna read for us. Kyle, if you can come up. Um, We're gonna read this passage and then explore what it means for us today and how Jesus is inviting us to be a people for this city.
0: Good morning, there we are. (laughs) All right, so we're gonna be reading from Matthew 25, 14 through 28. This is the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: These words of Jesus come in his final days. Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he's anticipating the crucifixion. And as he arrives into this big city, he's with his disciples. Now, these were small-town guys. They grew up in the backwoods. They weren't elites or educated. They came from blue-collar families. And when they arrive, they're in awe. They're looking around at the amazing site, at the amazing architecture, and they are blown away. They are in awe at the city and its influence. The city draws them in and it impresses them. But as this is happening, Jesus gives them a reality check. He's like, guys, none of this will last Don't be lured away by what it portrays or by what it promises, because actually I'm bringing something better. I'm bringing a city that is more just, more compassionate, where the last will be first, where enemies will become friends. The old order of things will go away, and I am bringing a new thing. And his emphasis is on being ready for that. He says, be ready for the city that I am bringing And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually speaking about the kingdom. And it is the way of life that he brings us into, it is the rule and reign that he inaugurated. Jesus speaks of it not in ways that are obvious to us, but he does so by using stories. In Greek, they're called parables. Now, parables are not moralistic tales. They're not theology lessons. They're not hyper-allegorical, full of hidden meaning. Instead, they express shocking realities that both comfort and confront us. See, parables are meant for us to reflect on. They're meant for us to revisit again and again. They help us to consider the reality of Jesus's kingdom And they help us to think about how to live in response to what God is doing in the here and now. They help us to get ready for kingdom activity. And this parable isn't about making more money. It's not about getting rich. It's not about maintaining capitalism. The point isn't about how much the servants were able to earn or how the master got rich. It's about what being ready looks like. It's about the kind of life that lives in readiness to God's kingdom activity here today. A few weeks ago, when Hurricane Hillary was making its way up here, people got ready. If you went to the grocery store, there were um, aisles that were empty. People stocked up on sandbags. They stocked up on food and water. They canceled plans. The Dodgers canceled a Sunday game. Other people made plans, like throwing a hurricane party. But the point is that there was this thing coming, this thing on the way, and people had to get ready for it. And that is what's happening here in this story. Jesus is saying the kingdom is coming, and here's what being ready for it looks like. It looks like a master trusting his wealth to his servants. Now that is the comforting part. What this parable implies is that God trusts you. He's trusted you with gifts and abilities, with talents and resources, with people and perspectives, with time and with networks. The servants were given talents. Now one talent is equal to about 20 years of wages for the average worker, So in this city, in our day, one talent is about $1,200,000. And so between the three servants, they're given about $10,000,000. And so what they're given isn't cheap. It's not chump change. It's highly valuable in the same way that what God has entrusted to you, what God has given to you, is highly valuable. None of us come with empty hands. None of us None of us come without anything to contribute. We've each been given something valuable. And so what this parable invites us to consider is what have I got? What have I been given? What is in my hands? See, being ready looks like people who live up to their full potential and giftedness. Being ready looks like sowing what we've been given. And it looks like being faithful and responsible with what has been entrusted to us. And so the confronting part of this parable is how are we doing with what we've been given? Are we sowing or are we hiding? Are we investing or are we burying? the first two servants, they sow. They exercise their full potential. They do what they know and they invest what they're given. But the final servant doesn't sow. He hides. And when the master approaches him, he says, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, the servant doesn't do anything with what he's been entrusted with, not because what he had was too small, not because he wasn't capable, not because he didn't have the ability, but because he was afraid. And I think that the main thing that stops us doing anything for God, anything for his kingdom, is fear. We can be afraid of getting it wrong. We can be afraid of getting it wrong and disappointing God disappointing others, disappointing ourselves. But notice that the problem with the final servant isn't that he did the wrong thing, it's that by bearing what he was given, he did nothing. And I've learned that one common thing that comes up for people who are learning to pray for others is fear of getting it wrong. Have you ever felt that? Saying the wrong things having mixed motives, or not being as holy as we think we should be. And this is completely natural as we grow in prayer, and as we grow in doing anything for God, we will get things wrong at times. We are a mixed bag. We are holy and still growing in holiness. But none of this should stop us from doing the stuff. I often find that the more we do the stuff, the more Jesus takes care of the details. Earlier in this book, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom and the details will be taken care of. In other words, fixate on God, on his goodness, and on his grace. But when we fixate, when we fixate on not getting it wrong, when we fixate on trying to be perfect, when we fixate on not making mistakes, we can become debilitated. We can get stuck. There, there isn't a, a whole lot of points where uh, Greek thought and Christianity intersect, but I think in this particular case, something Aristotle said actually uh, supports kind of the, 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 the message of this parable. He said, to avoid criticism, to avoid making mistakes, to avoid getting it wrong, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. But it is better for you, it is better for the kingdom to do something imperfectly than to do nothing perfectly. See, for some, Christianity is about not doing anything wrong. It's about staying in your lane, it's about keeping your head down and waiting it out until the end. But this parable tells us that actually that kind of attitude gets us in trouble. So go for the kingdom stuff. We only disappoint God when we hide or deny our full potential. But on the other hand, God is thrilled when we shine, he's thrilled when we activate our faith to do something, which is what the first two servants did. They practice their faith. Jesus says that they went at once, there was this sense of urgency, there was an immediate action. They didn't wait for instructions, they simply did what they knew to do. And I'll be honest, um, anyone who's ever done anything for God hardly knows what they're doing. It's rarely the case that there's some master plan or some grand vision. The greatest Christians simply did what they knew to do. So we don't have to have the greatest strategy. We don't have to have the perfect models or the, or the best predictions. We don't have to have the greatest gifts. And I find that encouraging because I can feel pressured to have it all figured out at times. I went to Bible college and I left thinking like I need to discover God's master plan for my life. But then I got into seminary and learned that actually, we're all just taking it one step at a time. That God leads us not with yearly projections, but with daily steps. And it can be freeing to know that God only expects us to do the things that we know. We simply do what we know and have faith that God can make something of it. See, faith is the thing that, faith believes that the thing that I have to offer can be used for God's good work. The two servants were responsible and demonstrated faith, hence they were called faithful And if we're going to be the kind of people ready for the kingdom activity that God wants to unleash in our neighborhoods, then we're gonna need some faith. Faith is taking God at his word. It is being confident in his promise. It is the magic with God. He loves when we act on it, he rewards it. He's thrilled when we take him at his word. And so let us not be afraid. Let us go with faith, let us trust what he's said and trust what he's doing. And I wanna highlight some ways that people have exercised faith. Faith to use what they've been given, faith to do simply what they know to do. Because I think sometimes when we talk about this stuff, people can be given the impression that this stuff is for experts. But the story of the Bible is God using ordinary people to do kingdom stuff. And so we have those stories, we have those opportunities and I want to invite us to consider how we can be responsible to God by using what we have. Whether it's through these opportunities or whether it's through opportunities that show up in our day to day. So we're going to hear from a couple people. And before we do um I wanna preface this next bit by saying um, a couple of years ago, uh, when the Taliban reclaimed Afghanistan, there were a number of refugees that arrived here in the states. And these were primarily people who worked with the American government to some extent, and it, remaining in the country would have been dangerous for them. And so a group of people from Bred, Gathered to sponsor one of the arriving families. And Kari's going to share a bit about what it's been like and how simple, hospitable acts have come a long way. So let's give it up for Kari. <laughs> you can use this mic up. Yeah.
2: Hello, everybody.
1: Oh, sorry. Is it on?
2: Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hi. Um, My name is Kari, and I'm one of five people on the refugee team. They all were out of town this weekend, so I'm representing them. We had an honorary 6 member, Ben Mertens, as well. Um, So we basically, oh, I think we all saw handheld pictures of what happened in Kabul, and we felt so far away from it, and it's hard to know what to do across the world. So when Bread paired with Home for Refugees, this organization, it was such a perfect opportunity to be like, oh, I can do that. I can help. I don't know how, but we can help. And so five of us um, stepped up. None of us are experts in any of these. None of us have kids, but we figured out how to enroll them in school, ESL classes, driving lessons. Um, Thanks to so many donations here, we were able to furnish their whole house, which was mind-blowing for me to watch the generosity just pour in from everybody uh, when you just put out a need. And um, it's like our version of Amish barn raising. I feel like our culture doesn't see that a lot. And so it was really meaningful for me to be able to witness the generosity from everybody here. Um, so it, it's been, you know, not without challenges. Um, there's been many ER visits, many lines in the DMV. There's, it's definitely not been easy. Uh, there's days where you're like, oh man, this is not what I want to be doing right now because of the challenges with our healthcare system and all the red tape we have to go through. But there's also been high highs, I think, in the picture. I don't know if you can really see it, but there was a pool party Jason threw at his house, and it was the first time swimming, we all jumped in with our clothes on and it was just so fun. We just were diving in and out. Um, it was just a blast. So there's been high highs, low lows throughout the year. Um, our commitment was to meet every Monday on Zoom and go through a checklist and take it step by step. Um, it's, it is daunting in the beginning to see all that this family has lost. They're starting from zero and how to build their life back up, especially in a new culture, new language. And so it's been great. The kids are excelling in school. They're all English is really great. I think a lot of you guys have been able to meet them at they came, most of them came to field day. Green team should have won. And, um, and then they came to Christmas service. And so hopefully you guys have been able to see them around. And um, yeah, so it's been amazing. They're an amazing family. We're so lucky we got paired with them. Uh, there's a few big checklists. We're still tr- needing to work with them on, um, coming alongside them, finding and work. Uh, we've worked with their resumes and LinkedIn profiles and they've been actively interviewing and applying to jobs, but that's a big one to aid in their success. So if anybody has leads, let me know. Talk to me after just to help, help them in that process. Um, ben has also uh, let them use his car till January. There's six of them and it's a five-passenger car, so probably next year that's going to be something we're going to work with them as well. Our formal um, tie with Home for Refugees ends this next month, but we'll continue on with our relationship with the family just as a natural relationship and help them alongside. So it's been wonderful. Hopefully you guys get a chance to meet them throughout the years and have them. You guys can go over to dinner. Their food is amazing.
1: Thanks Thanks so much, Kari. And if you'd like to hear more on ways that you can help, um, you can chat with Kari at the end of the service. Um, But a a thing that I'm really excited about is um, we're doing this week, it's our tailgate party. And Los Angeles has a uh, homeless crisis. There are various factors that drive people into being unhoused. It is the result of broken families, mental illness, financial challenges, and many more issues and addressing the problem is a lot bigger than any one church or organization can solve. And so what we are doing here at Bright is we're simply doing our part. We are partnering with a shower program here. Um, if you've, as you drive into the parking lot, you see the trailer in the back. Um, those are showers that unhoused members in the community come in during the week and they use that. And they come in pretty regularly. Um, and We simply just wanna put on a dinner to show them that we care about them, to show them that uh, we love them. And um, we're gonna do that this Wednesday with our summer dinner. It's a tailgate party themed, And so we will feed up to 60 guests. We have a program that includes a short talk, um, some games, maybe live music. And we wanna just give people a sense of normalcy. We want to give people a safe space to enjoy a meal, and we will have hosts that will sit with um, each table and strike conversation. They're there to listen, they're there to help people feel seen, help people feel heard, because oftentimes this population is is invisible in the general public. Um, But God sees them, and we see them. And so this Wednesday at 7 p.m., um, we're going to be putting this on. If you'd like to get involved, you can uh, chat with Katie and Charles. Katie and Charles, can you guys raise your hands? Um, they're going to be at, the, at a table in the back, um, and you can ask them any question, uh, not just about that, but anything uh, STC-related and ways that you can get involved. Um, but we uh, care for the in-house, and we also care for families. And so um, it's why we've got some friends from Olive Crest, Uh, who do this very well. And so I'm going to invite Dave to share um, what it is that they do and practical ways that they can get involved. Welcome. Thank you.
3: Well, thanks for including us in this conversation about what it looks like to live an invested life. Sharon and I are on staff with a group called Olive Crest and we are a community partner that seeks to prevent child abuse by strengthening and equipping and restoring children and families in crisis one life at a time and what does that look like well um, you know we want to make sure that kids are safe we want to make sure that parents have the support and the resources they need to parent. And we believe that there is healing power in God, in community connections, and in a a strong family. And we do this in many ways. um, From our early intervention program, where uh, we uh, work with families when they need support because they've got some challenges or there's a crisis in the home. And you'll hear about that uh, a little bit more in a second. We also train and certify uh, foster parents to provide a safe and loving environment when uh, kids who are in the foster care system need a place uh, to be. Uh, And then lastly, we provide support to parents and, and families when they've been reunified with their children, or maybe when an adoption has been finalized, and we want to come alongside them and provide uh, the support and community that they need. And uh, you know, maybe you'd say this morning, "Well, I can't be a, a foster parent." And that's very understandable, but we've seen that um, in this space, there's really a place for everyone. Um, We like uh, what a writer, Jason Johnson, says when it comes to kind of this foster care world. And he says, you know, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And uh, I want to turn it over to Sharon to tell you a little bit about uh, some examples from our earlier invention program, uh, which we call our, our volunteer hosting program.
4: Good morning. I just want to explain a little bit about our volunteer hosting program and what that looks like. I'll just tell a story that happened this very week on Monday night. We um, got a call on our hotline from a hospital social worker up in San Fernando Valley, and she said uh, we were working with a mom, the doctors and I are working with a mom who has been in and out of the ER a few times since May. She was very ill. Every single time she left the ER, because she said, I can't stay here. I don't have anyone to watch my kids. And finally, on Monday night, they told her, do not leave the hospital. Your life could really be at risk this time. Please do not leave. So the social worker called us, and she said, do you have anyone who can host these three kids? If we don't find anyone, we'll have to call DCFS and have them go to a foster family. That, by the way, is a at least a six month process. So we were going around and texting our network of hosts and trying to find someone who was open. And one of our hosts, she has two kids and their family was so excited while we're getting information from mom and my coworkers doing the paperwork over the phone, this host was texting her friends saying does anybody have an extra mattress i want to do this but can anybody uh run to target to get a couple outfits for the kids and the, her daughter was eight years old so excited she set up the whole room all by herself and so a little bit later that evening the whole family was on the way to the hospital they picked up the kids met mom and hosted them until friday morning and this really works i love what raul was saying You don't have to do this perfectly, you don't have to be perfect, you just have to offer what you can. Um, These hosting situations are definitely not always last minute, most of the time they're planned more in advance, they're not always medical conditions, sometimes it's grandparents who just need some respite, sometimes it's a family living in a car, and moms have told us this many times, I can deal with being out here, This is no place for my kids. I just want them to have a safe place to go for a couple nights until I can get more money for a hotel room. Um, It's all kinds of situations. Sometimes moms are just plain overwhelmed. They have no support. I love it when they call us when they're just overwhelmed because we can help them out for a couple days and give them a little break. And we can help them to know that, yes, somebody is out there who is trustworthy and somebody does care about you. It's a wonderful message to give them. So it's just all about volunteers opening their home to a parent in need and just letting God do what he wants to do through their service.
3: So yeah, if you'd like to uh, explore what it looks like to be uh, generously hospitable as as Jesus has been for us, as you guys have been for us today, uh, we would love to talk to you more. We'll be at a table outside if you'd like to explore Welcoming a kid into your home, or supporting those in your community who do, uh, or you just want to know a little bit more about Olive Crest, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Chandler. And just before we end, um, a couple weeks ago, we took up a collection that we um, gave to the victims in Maui, and. Oftentimes we forget that money is also a resource. Um, And so Aaron was able to connect us with the house church in Maui, who is on the ground bringing relief to victims. And this week we received received an email from them, uh, from the leaders of this church who are doing this work. They're they're with people who have lost everything and um, this is what uh, they want to say to our community. Bread. We thank you so much for this contribution. We appreciate the love from our mainland Oana and spiritual family. We're still spending some small amounts on basic necessities and supplies. We have two families we're trying to assist with immediate housing. Their names are Carlos, Jasmine, and their eight-year-old, Kalilea. They escaped the fire on foot found Carlos's mom on the street and got in her car to escape. They lost everything but the clothes they had. Another mom and her two young kids, Lily, Ava, and Ollie, were on the south side of the island when the fires happened. And all she has left are the things she had with her. She still needs new clothes and shoes and a new place to live. Our local families lost homes. They go back to generations. And we are anticipating there will be immense financial need over the coming years to help them rebuild on their precious land. Your money will go to a combination of these needs, but please lift them in prayer. We appreciate you so much. Mahalo loa, And that's to us. Um, So thank you for generously supporting um, those who've been affected uh, on the island. But this is what the kingdom is about. It's about coming alongside God and bringing his goodness and his justice and his love to our community. This is what God is ready to do. This is what the kingdom stuff is about. And the parable, this parable, is about being ready for it. He's given you things that you can participate with him in his good work. We exist not just for ourselves, but for the city. And we believe that God's kingdom is a place. We say this often at bread. We believe that his kingdom is a place where everyone gets to play, where everyone has something to contribute whether you have five talents, two, or one, there's something of valuable that we all come with, something of value that we all come with. And so please don't hide what you have. Please don't withhold it. Put it on display, sow it, make use of it, be responsible with it, and allow God to use you. the band can come up, we are um, done here. But just, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that you do that is insignificant. In this same chapter, in chapter 25, we get these famous words from Jesus. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And so we don't need to be the most resourced. We don't need to have the latest strategy or the finest tools. Feeding, hosting, clothing, visiting are the simple things of the kingdom that God uses. And for some of us, we may have capacity for a lot of this. Others of us don't have a whole lot of capacity at the moment. And that's where prayer comes in. Praying for the city is a form of engaging with it. Praying for the city is a form of serving it. Praying for the city is a form of undoing the the things that, that people with dark motives have come to do. We can all pray for the city. For some of us, that's all that we can do, and that's okay. And so as you open yourself to him, as you offer what you have for his kingdom, he shares his joy with you. I love what the servants hear from the master. They hear, come and share in your master's happiness. And my hope is that we would hear these words for ourselves. That we would step out that we would know what we have and that we would share in God's happiness.